Hello and welcome to the Thanksgiving week edition of the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation. I am the traffic anchor for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. Yeah, this is the point where Joseph usually chimes in with something and tells you that he is our pedestrian advocate and uh, says that he's probably not doing so well or he's so happy about the Patriots winning or this, that, or the other thing. Anyway, uh, he is not here today. I am flying solo. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a great podcast for you today. Coming up in just a minute, I have a message from a viewer who commented about an idea I floated last week. Uh, It's about uh, a way, an easy way, I think, to get around a city, whether it's Denver or any other city uh, around the country. If you want to leave us a message uh, for the show, here's the easiest way to do it. You call this number, 303 832-0217. That gets you right to the voicemail line. You don't even have to wait for the beep. It just, boom, goes right to the message, and you can leave your message for the show there. And last week, I also talked about this disturbing story about water on airplanes and how dirty that water is. Well, coming up in just a minute, I'm going to have the interview I conducted with Dr. Charles Platkin, And Dr. Platkin is the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center. And they, along with the dietdetective.com, investigated the water quality of 23 different U.S. airlines. And basically what they found out is that it's gross. I mean, not just gross, really gross, really, really disgusting stuff. And their recommendation ahead of here, one of the busiest travel seasons uh that we have i mean it's it's already busy now before thanksgiving and and it will be busy obviously leading all the way up to uh, christmas and new year's and so their recommendation is that you don't even wash your hands with the water that's on board these airplanes so if you go to the bathroom um they say if you wash your hands with that water then go ahead and also use hand sanitizer that's disturbing to me uh it's an informative and it's an enlightening interview uh with dr platkin coming up in just a minute But first, the most head-shaking story of the week was when Tesla showed off its newest all-electric vehicle. They're calling it the Cybertruck. It was at an event in Los Angeles. And after the futuristic pickup truck was rolled out, they thought it would be a nice test. Because Elon Musk was out there, you know, parading and, and showing off his truck. Well, they bring up this chief designer. Through to uh, throw a metal ball at the windows of the truck just to test and see how tough they were. Except the demo failed spectacularly. So Elon told the audience the truck is literally bulletproof against small types of firearms. And they brought in uh, somebody to take a sledgehammer and hit the truck, the side of the truck there, several times with that sledgehammer. And every time the truck got hit without a dent, the crowd cheered. But then that's when Elon summoned the lead designer to try to smash the Cybertruck's armored glass windows. And so this guy gets up. He tosses the first metal ball at the driver's side window, and it completely shattered. Boom. Big hole in it. Big hole. It was just completely shattered. And Elon, as you can imagine, was not pleased. He said, well, maybe that was a little bit too hard. (laughs) You think? Then he had the designer throw the metal ball at the passenger side window. 
And it had the exact same result. Break. Now, the latest explanation I saw from Elon Musk is that this sledgehammer attack cracked the base of the glass for both the driver's side and passenger side, the rear passenger side windows. And that is the reason the steel ball didn't bounce right off of it. And that's the reason the glass broke, because it made the glass weak, and it put a little crack in the glass with the sledgehammer, and boom, it was apt to crack. Well, he says he should have done the steel ball against the window first, and then secondly, he should have done the sledgehammer. Well, the base price of that truck is around forty grand. Uh, they have options, and you can get uh, a base, a mid-level, uh, that's about $10,000 more, and then you can get the top-of-the-line version at around $70,000. They already have over 200,000 orders. They they received over, I think it was 100 or 150,000 orders just on that day, even though it failed in spectacular fashion. But those people that are waiting for their trucks are going to have to wait a while. Production is not supposed to begin until the end of 2021 with delivery sometime in early 2022. So a couple of years to go. All right, so let's go to the mailbag, shall we? All right, here is, uh, well, I don't know what his name is, uh, since he didn't leave the voice, uh, leave his name on the voicemail. Hey, Jason. Uh, I was watching your you uh, release this morning, and I think the idea about the gondolas is absolutely great. Smart guy. Bye. Now, I don't know if that smart guy comment was supposed to be sarcastic or he was being truthful. I don't know if he really thinks I'm a smart guy or he was just calling me smart guy. And that would, you know, that that's, I, I don't know. I would like to know. Also like to know what his name was and where he was calling from. But there's more support, you see, for the whole gondola idea across the city. I have this great idea that you hook up a gondola system just like you would not not like in Venice where you have the boats. That's a different kind of gondola. The gondola is like you have at ski resorts, like in like in Aspen and Vail and Steamboat. You have these gondolas that will take you up to the top of the mountain. Well, you could use the same technology for a city. And it doesn't have to be Denver where it snows, like a foot in a day. Uh, you could do it in Nashville, and you could do it in Jacksonville, and you could do it in, well, really any city around the country, and you can get people around, especially in the more densely packed downtown areas. Imagine if you were in um, Minneapolis. You could just get around very easily from place to place in a gondola. Um, I guess it would only operate or not operate in really extremely windy conditions. So that might be a problem on windy days. But otherwise, I think it would be quite comfortable and not that hard to operate. You could probably use wind or solar power to get it going. I think it's a wonderful idea and probably worth more exploration. The Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, it builds itself as America's friendliest airport. It has now been ranked as the best large airport in the country. Well, according to this year's Wall Street Journal airport rankings, the story is by Scott McCartney in the Wall Street Journal, 
And the journal ranked airports by five measures of operations, such as on-time arrivals. There's five measures of value, like average fare, and five measures of convenience, including a grade from readers. More than 2,500 subscribers to the Wall Street Journal answered a detailed questionnaire covering a dozen different categories of what they like and they don't like at airports and that they've used in the last couple of years. It says something about the state of U.S. airports that the highest Wall Street Journal reader score was only a B. Nobody got an A. Nobody got higher than a B, and that went to Detroit's Metro Airport. The average grade for all airports was a C+. That's a sad state of affairs for U.S. airports. So Phoenix, they are number one, and they excelled in several of the 15 categories with short screening waits leading the list. They have fast Wi-Fi, good Yelp scores for restaurant reviews, short taxi to takeoff times for planes, unlike Denver, which it takes a long time to taxi, and so does it. It does the same thing in Atlanta and a lot of other big airports. It takes a long time to taxi and take off or land and taxi. And also for the cheap average Uber cost to get to downtown because the Phoenix airport is really close to their downtown. A lot of other airports are much farther away. It also scored well among Wall Street Journal readers. So here are uh, the top 10 for the best large U.S. airports. Phoenix, Denver was number two. Apparently they haven't been out through our construction zone out there and what a mess it is. Fort Lauderdale and Detroit Metro are tied for three. Orlando comes in at number five. Uh, It's a little surprising. Number six is Las Vegas. Number seven is Atlanta. Number eight, Dallas-Fort Worth. Number nine, Los Angeles, LAX. And number 10 is Houston's Bush Airport. On the bottom is Chicago O'Hare, Miami, Philadelphia, New York, the JFK Airport, and Newark. Newark and JFK and LaGuardia usually rank in the bottom of most airport lists. Now, among the medium-sized airports, Tampa is number one of all the medium-sized airports, even though it didn't rank first in any of the 15 categories. The lowest score it actually got was in their operations department. The problem with the Tampa airport is that it's located in Thunderstorm Alley, and weather can force ground operations to cease for a little while, where they have to wait for the thunderstorm to roll through. And that has hindered their score just a little bit. But they're still number one of the best medium-sized airports. So here is the top ten for the best mid-sized U.S. airports. Tampa at number one. Tied for number two is Portland and Austin. Number four is Nashville. Number five, Sacramento. San Diego at number six. San Diego is actually a pretty nice airport. And it's right there in downtown and it is so close to one of the roads right there, one of the major roads into, into San Diego. They have that uh, deflector for the jet wash. So when you see the jets taking off, it actually has this ramp-like device that deflects the jet wash from blowing cars over. Uh, Salt Lake City is at number seven. Oakland at number eight. San Jose at number nine. And Houston's Lobby Airport at number ten. The bottom of the list includes St. Louis. New Orleans, Washington, Dulles, Chicago, Midway, and you guessed it, the last on the list is LaGuardia. All three New York airports made the bottom of the list for 
medium-sized and large-sized airports. A lot of work has left to be done there. Uh, Colorado Springs probably is on a small airport list, probably not on the mid-sized list, but I think they would be considered one of the better small airports. Um, not quite mid-sized, but I think they would be up there if we saw the uh, small airport list as well. Um, because I, I, I like flying in and out of there. Well, speaking of airports and airplanes and traveling, this is a disturbing story. There is a new study that finds that water on board most major airlines that is served to the passengers is so unsafe that you shouldn't even wash your hands with it. The shocking discovery was made by Hunter College's Food Policy Center and DietDetective.com, who investigated the water quality of 23 different U.S. airlines. Joining us now is Dr. Charles Blackkin, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center, to talk more about this. Doctor, thank you so much for taking the time here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me on, on the podcast. I appreciate it. So what made you want to test the water on airplanes? So, you know, we every year for the past 20 years, I've been doing an airline food study, and uh, it was, you know, Obviously, part of food service is coffee and tea, and I was posed a question about, you know, about drinking coffee, you know, and, and tea on an, on an aircraft, and I thought, oh, okay, let me start looking into this. I started looking into research, and I started seeing a few studies from, you know, uh, from about eight, eight, nine, ten years ago. One specifically was from the EPA <clears throat> that took water samples, and, and there were high levels of coliform which were, and, and, and some levels of E. coli. And I started delving into it, you know, in a much deeper way, and then found that, you know, and did it use the Freedom of Information Act to uh, go to the EPA and pull out all the violations for every single airline in the United States and every single aircraft in the United States that flies. And once we we took about seven months and crunched the numbers and try to understand, you know, what what the air, aircraft water safety, uh, the aircraft drinking water rule, which is the ADWR, what, 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 how it started and um, why it was implemented and so forth. So this EPA study that was done was the lead into the development of the aircraft drinking water rule. And it was really interesting because, you know, it started in 2012 and it's been ongoing and basically it requires that every aircraft that flies in the U.S., file reports to the EPA, and I would say, you know, it, it varies on how often because there are different rules and regulations of how they have to do it, but basically four times a year, they have to uh, comply and uh, test their water and, um, and report it. So um, we crunched all the violations that were issued to the airlines and the specific aircrafts um, that belong to the airlines. And that's the result of where we got this information for, for this study. So in a bit, I want to go through those comments that were made for the major airlines. But first, let's look at the good airlines and the bad airlines. What were some of the top performers? So it was Alaska uh, Airlines and Allegiant were the top spot with the safest water in the sky. And, and Hawaiian Airlines finished number two. Um, the two worst airlines were JetBlue and Spirit, um, and uh, they each got a score of one out of, out of, you know, with five being the highest and zero being the lowest. And, you know, it, it really, 
concerned me because most of the airlines were below what I what I thought was uh, reasonable, which was a score of three, um, and and uh, most of the major airlines, you know, were were below that. With a score of three, if you look at that at a hundred point scale, I mean, that's basically a D grade, which is really really bad. It's a pretty it's 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 pretty bad, and, and that's for um, the best airline that you were testing. That's correct, and Piedmont. Uh, which is a regional carrier, which is operated by American Eagle, uh, which American Airlines was the highest regional carrier with a score of 4.33 out of five, and it was interesting because they beat the major airlines, um, you know, by almost a, a full point. However, regional airlines were horrific, really terrible in terms of their scores, other than Piedmont. But there's not a lot of people that fly those regional airlines like they do Delta and American and here in Denver, United and Frontier. That's correct. Exactly. So, so yeah, there, there are not a lot of them. And, and, uh, you know, so, so again, when we looked at this, we were, we were surprised, um, with the number of violations. And remember, this is just what's reported and where violations were issued. We don't really know the full extent of anything. We just know of you know, out of all the violations that were issued and what they were for, and that's the, those are the numbers that we crunched from 2012 to August of 2019. So in this study, we were looking at the comments in the comment section for all the major airlines. You also do that for the regional airlines as well. So let's go through some of the comments that were written for the major airlines. So let's look at Alaska Air. What were the comments for why their water was so bad? So you know, Alaska was actually okay. They had a very number, a very low number of violations per aircraft. One of the other things that is important to note is that we did take into account the number of aircrafts that they had, right? So we, we felt that that was important. They have 335 aircrafts in their fleet, so we felt that that was important to note. And part of our algorithm was taking that into account. So um, and they, they received the highest score, and the airline had. Several several unrecorded violations for failure to collect and repeat follow-up sampling, which we thought was not great. Meaning, they um, they collected uh, they didn't collect data. So you know, we always thought that that was a real negative, and they kind of missed their uh, reporting requirements uh, required by the uh, ADWR. Um, I also want to step back one moment and add something that I think is pretty significant that. Uh, we, we kind of left out in the beginning, which is that the, the ADWR, the Aircraft Drinking Water Rule, does not require the same testing as the National Primary Drinking Water Regulations, right? And it's really important to understand that because the requirements in the air uh, for the water in the air, which is in the galley and in the lavatory, are very specific to the microorganism of coliform, which, you know, show high levels of coliform show uh, whether or not there's an indicator of E. coli. Now, there are many other microorganisms that most of us probably couldn't pronounce um, that are tested on regular drinking water that's on the ground. But because, and pun intended here, the ADWR is a watered-down version of the National Primary Drinking Water Regulation, it doesn't have that. It just has the uh, checking for coliform levels of, and, and, and then E. coli if, if, if there are high coliform levels. levels. So we, we really feel like that's a very a real disservice to, uh, to, you know, to people that are, that are 
you know, are in the air and traveling and drinking coffee and tea on a regular basis. Um, and some, you know, for some people, traveling is their, is their life. And I think that this is just something that um, there's no reason why uh, the same information shouldn't be required uh, on the ground as in the air. And additionally, um, this data that we're, that is uh, being supplied is self-reported. The airlines take the samples themselves and send it to the lab, and the lab works for the airline, right? So they get the information back, and you know they can do a disinfecting and flushing and retest. I'm not saying that I know of any airlines that are doing that, but it's certainly possible, and that would uh, limit their violations. Well, why wouldn't then the EPA want the uh, quality of the water on an airline be the same as it's coming out of my faucet at the house? You know, I think that their initial—I mean, there was a lot of pushback, right, by the by the airlines uh, lobbying group, right? They felt that there's there's enough regulation by the FAA that now you know the EPA and the FAA together, um, and even the FDA are are kind of with with the EPA being um, the one that has to kind of regulate this because it it was all three agencies that were kind of involved, and you know. I guess this is just, you know, this was a negotiated uh, concept. Now, they might just say, well, the water is coming from the municipality that they're filling, you know, that they're filling up their tanks from this municipality, and there's very little risk of these other microorganisms being, you know, in the in the tanks or, or when they're transferred, so we don't need them. But I would argue, why why not just do it? I mean, you know, people are entitled to... Uh, not have you know any microorganisms that could potentially make them sick in, in their in their coffee or their tea or when they're washing their hands. So you know, we would argue that it, unless you show us real evidence that you know this is not necessary, this is what should be required, and it shouldn't be self-reported data. It should be that the water is taken from there in the lab, kind of it's locked in once it's sent to the lab, and we try to get the EPA to give us any. Or, 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 or they would give us no information. We we were more of an expert than most of the public uh, the public uh, spokespeople um, for the EPA, um, and we got literally nowhere um, with the EPA on any kinds of information. For instance, <clears throat> we talked about violations, and when you get a parking violation, what happens? You you pay a fine, correct? Right. Not that you would ever get a parking violation, right. <laughs> right. but if you if you get a park, you, you have to pay a fine. Well, we couldn't find any penalties. We found a couple here and there, and they like won the thousand dollars. I think it was the spirit, but we we asked the EPA, you know, to let us know about the penalties, and we we got literally uh, a very very nasty responses from the EPA. Uh, not surprising, but Still surprising. I'm speaking with Dr. Charles Platkin, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center, and we're talking about the safety of water on commercial airplanes. I still want to get back to in just a little bit yeah, some sorry, of the, some of the yeah. other no some of the other airlines. Yeah. However, it, it, there, I think there's a reasonable expectation by every American, no matter where they are in the country, that they're going to be able to tap uh, open up any tap, whether it is at at Walmart or their house or the airport, it, it, anywhere they're going, there's that reasonable expectation they're going to get clean water that is not going to make them sick. 
but it sounds like they don't have that expectation, nor does the EPA have that expectation on an airline. That is correct. And, 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 you know, the thing that scares me is that, you know, San Francisco has eliminated plastic bottles from the airport. Now someone's listening and saying, well, why does that scare him? That's fantastic. It is fantastic. But what scares me is that airlines, which are 100% profit motive, you know, have 100% profit motive. They look at that and they go, you know what? We could save a fortune by not having bottled water that we serve our actual water from. Not forget the coffee and tea, but our water is, you know, we can serve that from a gallon. We can save a fortune and we can promote it as if we're going green. So, you know, that would be terrible for the traveler if an airline decided to do that and they would get all this publicity that they're going green. But meanwhile, behind the scenes, their galley water is not really suitable even though it's considered potable, it's not really, you know, um, fit in, in many instances under the current system that's set up uh, to trust, right? So that's problematic. And that's all probably because of these holding tanks that aren't being cleaned well. They're probably not being drained well. And I, I, I consider myself a pretty decent cook and I, I am crazy about sanitation when I'm cooking and that includes anything around water because you have standing water you are going to have a problem with bacteria growth and and uh, mold and and anything around standing water and if you don't change it and dry it out and routinely clean it you are going to get bad things in there that you don't want in yourself right exactly and and I, I know you want to get to the airlines but I also want to make one other point that if you're flying a, a, uh, an aircraft that has filled up uh, their water in, in an outside, you know, outside of the United States, we don't know. Uh, we don't know what that municipality, uh, ha- how their water is being tested, because we don't know what those countries' regulations are. I wonder if this is also the same for other. Uh, sh- I was ju- it just cross my mind because I take a lot of cruises is what is the safety for water in uh, on these cruise lines because they do refuel and they also restock in certain foreign countries where you don't know if the water is all that great yeah and 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 I don't know that but just knowing that you know watching the news and seeing the you know uh, what appears to be it feels like a regular occurrence of contamination on ships and who knows why or how and i don't usually see or hear uh or read about the after effects of what the investigation found so let's look at some of the airlines that fly uh some of the low is let's let's start here denver is a huge hub for frontier southwest and united so what were some of the con uh comments for frontier airlines well frontier had a relatively high number of violations for failure to conduct routine monitoring which again <clears throat> that that makes me uncomfortable because it means that they're not they're getting a violation for not monitoring their water. So, um, you know, and they they were very they weren't very cooperative in 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 answering some questions that we had for them, and um, we thought they did a pretty poor job. And you know, they have a two point six out of five on their water health score. Um, and again, you know, wh- whether you think this is okay or not. They had a total water samplings for the 2012 to 2019 of you know, four tested positive for E. coli. Well, you know, we, we feel it should be a zero testing for E. coli. We, we, we don't want any E. coli on a flight. 
And you're certainly an airline that has that. We, 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 we are suspicious of, even though it wasn't the highest of all the airlines. But they also have a small fleet size of only 91. So that, that's taken into account as well. And Southwest Airlines is billed as the fun and friendly airline where they have the uh, the flight attendants always uh, it, being impromptu with their uh, safety demonstrations and, and trying to have a good time on the airline. But you won't have a good time if you are drinking their water that they store on board. Yeah, so so they had, I mean, they had a minimum, you know, I think that they had two E. coli uh, from what I see. Um, and, you know, they, they have a lot of aircrafts. So that, I mean, two E. coli experiences, again, there's, we, we think there should be none. Um, but 122 uh, water samples tested positive for coliform. Um, and again, we we don't we don't suspect the airlines, but uh, we we criticize the system. So if they have 122 that of, of high levels of coliform, <clears throat> they then have to go back and retest for E. coli. So we don't know how many uh, again uh, reports of E. coli are, there are. <clears throat> sorry, we don't know uh, how many E. coli were not reported, meaning they had high levels of coliform, they went back to retest, and then they found uh, E. coli, and then they said, you know what, we'll just disinfect and flush, and then we'll retest after that, and show that basically there was no E. coli. We don't know what they're doing that, but again, it's all self-regulated, and we have no idea, and we don't have transparency from the EPA. So, um, you know, we, we, we think that that's uh, serious. And they also had a number of violations, also for failure to conduct routine monitoring and failure to perform corrective measures that were required once there, once there were, were issues uh, related to their water. And United Airlines is terrible as well, right near the bottom at a score of 1.2 out of 5. So it's basically a 22% on your 100 uh, let's say question yeah. that you everybody knows from school that that is a solid F minus minus minus. Yeah, it's not a good score if you're uh, certainly in academia. You you wouldn't be happy with it. And I you know here you know they had three O E coli three positive tests, but they had high tests uh, tests tested positive in many instances for coliform. Um, and uh, you know they do have a large fleet size. Um, but we still think that the, you know, these major airlines um, that are carrying so many passengers you know, every day have a high responsibility to uh, maintain the, the, the water quality on their aircraft. Um, they had a high number of violations for failure to conduct routine monitoring and failure to collect repeat or follow-up samples when there were high, level of, of high levels of coliform. We find that you know, atrocious. So if you have a high level of coliform, and then you're not going back and testing if it has E. coli, or testing once you do a disinfectant flush, then you know, and you're you're failing to file. It just shows a lack of concern. So um, you know, we, we we're concerned about that, and we also were very unhappy that United, you know, is associated with with the regional air carriers, Air Wisconsin, Express Jet, and Trans uh, States Airlines, which are the regional which were had very very poor water records. I'm speaking to Dr. Charles Platkin, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center, about the safety of water on commercial airplanes. You know, I think what was most disturbing, and I, and I said it in our, in our opening comments, is that the, the water on these airplanes you found through this study 
is not even safe enough to wash your hands with. When I go into the lavatory there in the airplane, typically I'll go in, wash my hands when I'm done, and then I use that towel, I'll dry my hands, and I'll use that towel and, and wipe my forehead or wipe my face. So now I'm feeling really grossed out that I, one, washed my hands and then put that gross water with that stuff all over my face. Right. So now, again, I think it's important to, to for, for listeners to really make sure they understand that we're not saying that every air, aircraft has E. coli on it uh, and, and, you know, it, it is, is unsanitary. What we are saying is that we this is what we know and what we know we're not happy with, right? And we don't feel comfortable. So when you go and you're, you know, washing your hands, it's not like it, 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 it's an E. coli soup when you're, you know, like, you know, but, um, you know, I did this study, I'm very near and dear and close to it, and I would not wash my hands on a flight. Now, you, you know, um, according to the CDC and, and some, um, you know, infectious disease experts, they say it, it's okay if you use soap and water and then you use hand sanitizer after. Um, not for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not okay with that. Um, so, and when I talk to some people in the airline industry, you know, uh, uh, regulatory officials, one of the things they said is that when they do have uh, high levels of coliform and potential E. coli, you know, in the laboratory, oftentimes, and to me, this was disgusting. They thought it was, you know, fantastic to tell me this, but I thought it was disgusting. And oftentimes, um, it, there's, uh, you know, feces potentially on the fixtures, oh, and that's what's yeah. <laughs> so on the on the on the sink, you know, um, you know, in the faucet. So, and oftentimes they change the faucet, and the E. coli uh, problem, you know, goes away. Uh, you know, uh, that doesn't make me all excited um, as maybe they do. So here's the here's the catch with with hand sanitizer. You know, again, the CDC is still recommending that you use soap and water. But with, with hand sanitizer, which is my preference, it needs to be 60% uh, plus alcohol, and you need to use it just like you would wash your hands under your fingernails. You need to sort of like it needs to be all over your hands, and it needs to be used like you would be washing your hands, and then you can't dry it off. It has to dry naturally, right? So sort of that's the catch with, um, you know, uh, with you know fighting E. coli with a hand sanitizing uh, hand sanitizer. So uh, again, you know the the listener shouldn't sit there and go, oh, like this is you know airlines. It's uh, it's a it's a mess. Um, but again, you know there's no acceptable level to e of E. coli in an aircraft for me, and it shouldn't be for any of the listener. No, it's not definitely not for me either. You you mentioned to me that you were looking now at airline food. So uh, can you give us a preview of, of what that next study is going to entail? Yeah, so every year we, we do an airline food study. Um, and uh, we look, we give a, a health ranking, okay? Um, a rating and a ranking for every single, uh, well, not for the regional air carriers, but for the, you know, 10 major air carriers. And, uh, and, and we give them a score. We look at sodium levels. We look at um, we, we, we look at the, the meals that they serve, if they're, uh, you know, high protein, if they have any nutritional value and so forth. So we look at all those things and we use a rubric, uh, and an algorithm, and then we apply a health score again out of five, out of five, a score of five as a total. Um, and we also look at, you know, the average meal calories, the average calories overall, 
um, individual snack calories, and we comment and we give best bets for each um, for each air airline. Uh, what they should, what people should be looking for, and what they should avoid. So, if somebody wants to find some more information about this, where do they go, and where can they see the full study? The full study is on you know it's, it's very simple. It's dietdetective.com, um, and you know it, it's a not we're, we're, the diet detective is a nonprofit. Um, we take no commercial funding whatsoever. It's all uh, funded uh, by individuals and mostly myself. And um, we, you know, we, we do this airline study and all the information there, there's probably over a thousand stories, millions of words of free content, all very, very heavily resourced over the last 20 years. Well, I know you tried to uh, calm me down a little bit by telling me that I shouldn't worry about the water too much, that it's not an E. coli soup, but that, that still is not going to be an image I will be able to get out of my head uh, the next time I'm getting on an airplane, especially with so many people that will be traveling here over the... Uh, Thanksgiving holiday and and continuing through the rest of the holiday season. Yeah, everybody should mention it when they when every every time they walk on a flight, say, "Hey, can we get that?" And by the way, the the flight attendants and the pilots association, they're they don't they're pretty upset about this stuff too because they're drinking that coffee all the time and they don't really you know. I think that they would they they probably are starting to bring their own. Uh, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, you know, if I could put a cur egg on board, that's that's the way I would go. <laughs> where are you going to get the water from? Well, yeah. you use the bottled water. Use the bottled water. There you go. <laughs> That's actually a good idea. <laughs> uh, Dr. Charles Blanken, the executive director of Hunter College's New York City Food Policy Center. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. Appreciate your time so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And again, that website is dietdetective.com. You can find the survey there and all the information right there and see uh, their recommendations and everything they talked about uh, that we basically talked about here in the interview. If you want to read some more about it, it's there again, dietdetective.com. Really disturbing stuff. Um, and, and I'm thinking about this. Is, is that how much they really care about you as a passenger? To not, have you ever, to, to really not, not only not clean the water, but have you ever seen when you've been on a, a flight that is on the same plane, let's say it's connecting through a certain city, but you don't have to get off and you can stay on the plane, stay in your seat, and how they come through and they don't even really clean. They just pick up a few things and move on. And so everything your gross passenger did on the previous flight and the previous flight before that and the previous flight before that is still there in that seat waiting for you when you get on. It's not clean. It's not clean at all. Not even close. And I just posted a recent picture on my uh, Traffic Guy Facebook page, Jason Luber Traffic Guy, where it shows this woman who is sitting uh, in her seat, and above her head, she's showing the basically the top half of, of her face and head, and above her head are two bare feet sitting on the headrest, her headrest, and, and the person behind her had their shoes off, socks off, and feet on the headrest. One, that, that's quite the feat of, of uh, stretchability, flexibility. But yet super gross to put your feet on somebody else's headrest. And then I, I, there wasn't a picture about, uh, of, of, the, of the two were, were there two people sitting next to her that were, were seeing this, that were her friends or not her friends or just horrible. 
I mean, I, I have always thought that the airlines mostly care only about their profit margin rather than customer service. That's why they're so strict about their silly bag limits for for uh, and, and 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 charging you for bags now instead of building that into the price of the flight and how they charge you for everything uh, when you're on a flight. I, I understand it isn't the easiest business in the world to make money at, but I, I think it can be run better than it is, and there are airlines that are making making money. Southwest is a great example of that. Frontier has now come back from the brink, um, but I think they can do a lot better than what they are. Anyway, if you have a question or comment about the show, please email us here at drivingyoucrazypodcast at gmail. Dot com Or, of course, you can leave us a message. We love messages. 303-832-0217 is the number. Joseph should be back with us again next time. Have a great and super fun and super safe Thanksgiving as we're leading here into the holiday season. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate all of the listeners and all the people who download the podcast every week. And I appreciate all the, uh, the nice comments that we've received over the last year. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.